lot of ground to cover today. <coughs> so, let's read this and ask the Lord to teach us. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Father, I ask now that, uh, that you teach us. Father, uh, by the power of your word, with your spirit, we would be open to what you show us. Father, uh, I need your help. Lord, I ask that uh, my brothers and sisters who are here this day have a clarity of mind. That it is you they hear from. That it is your word with power from on high that touches the souls of these people. And Father, that I would be out of the way. And then it would be you and you alone that is heard. To your praise and glory in Christ. Amen. We're looking at an interesting book, I believe. It is, it is a, a fascinating book, and yet uh, in our, the evangelical community today it's classified as a controversial book. Um, I don't believe that it's controversial except possibly for the spiritual conditioning of the saint or spiritual condition of the saints today. This book, First uh, Corinthians, is a foundation that is necessary to understand Second Corinthians. And the reason that I say that is Second Corinthians is based on our ministry, individual and collectively. If you look at Second Corinthians, you can go through that book and see what it is to serve the body of Christ, to, to be a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is impossible if you do not know 1 Corinthians, because 1 Corinthians deals with holiness, your personal holiness. Um, I, I really need to emphasize this because we have a, 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 a tendency in the body today to worry about everybody else's holiness. Okay? Um, uh, is this person walking holy? Is this person doing this? And, and what happens is we don't have the ability to uh, help people who are struggling because we're not holy. We're not walking in holiness. 
Um, and, and I think this book is amazing because, you know, when I think about it, even as we have gathered here tonight, today, um, uh, I look at every one of us and, and I, I wonder what you brought to your relationship with Christ. What is yours that you brought that you are trying to bring into the relationship with Christ? Because that is the single thing that will impede your holiness. Okay? Or perhaps if you're truly honest, there are multiple things that you have that you've brought. Um, when I look at uh, chapter 1, verse 5, in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. What did you bring to that? But when you have conflict... Why? Because you're trying to bring your knowledge, you're trying to bring your speech, you're trying to bring your testimony in to deal with the things of Christ. He says, I exhort you, brother, in verse 10 of chapter 1, I exhort you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree, uh, that you all agree, and that there is no divisions among you, and that you will, make, uh, that you will made, uh, be made complete in the same mind and same judgment. The thing that keeps us being from the same mind and the same judgment is what we bring into the relationship with Jesus Christ. Our preconceived notion, our understanding, our wisdom, our philosophy. Verse 11 says, I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Some of you say, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. What happens? I am of a certain teacher, of a certain methodology, of a certain denomination, of a certain persuasion. Um... Personality cults. I prefer to listen to this person versus this person. And yet every teacher that the bride of Christ has is for every saint to be taught. I got to experience that uh, meeting with numerous people down at Wayne's Church. They've got people who take on different uh, projects and things. And to see the different giftedness in just the time that I had with them in about four or five hours of meetings on Thursday uh, just to see and to hear the men and the enthusiasm, what they're dealing and what their focus was. I've seen exhorters. I've seen men with the gift of mercy. I've seen uh, proclaimers. I've seen pro prophecy. I've seen love and mercy oozing from every one of them. And it just was a joy to see these men uh, in a major battle and yet to, to witness this. And yet they were all of one mind, of one judgment you move on down there he says do you not understand that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever i will set it aside where's the wise man where's the scribe where's the debater of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world and it's true Look at the way we are set up today. And I'm talking about the church. How is the church set up? What must you do to minister in the body of Christ today? Think about it. 
To you, for you to be an effectual minister in the body of Christ today, being that we're smaller, I'll, I'll, I'll make this as personal as I can. What must you do to minister in the body of Christ? What? Just go? Do it? But what if you don't know what to do? What must you do to minister in the body of Christ today? Anybody have a... Yeah, that helps. Okay? I can tell you what... It's simple. Here I am. Use me. How many of you have that attitude right now? But here I am. How many of you believe that if I get a certain degree or a certain amount of information or a certain amount of Bible studies, then I'll be ready? That's the key question that keeps getting asked to me. I had a number of people who I was down there that just this week, and I, I hate to keep using this as an illustration, but I had a number of people who sat through some of my teaching when I was down for the Equip Conference in, in, in July. And um, actually, uh, I was kind of embarrassed because there was a lot of people who wanted... I almost felt like I was being assaulted, assailed. Assaulted is probably not the correct word. Assailed. Had a lot of people, they wanted to know what seminary I graduated from and who was my professor and who was who taught you your homiletics and where did you learn your preaching and how did you come to these decisions and where did you learn this and where did you learn that? And I had to be funny and, and be like Bob Provost when I was speaking in the Tulsa Bible Conference. I said, uh, I learned my pastoral skills from the Colombian cartel. That's just an inside joke. Why? Because the foolishness of the cross, if the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Or consider your calling, brethren. Who's been called in the body of Christ? There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. See what has happened to the body of Christ in Corinth? They were bringing in their stuff. You can't be a preacher unless you're a, what, seminary graduate? Unless you have a Bible scholarship, or not a scholarship, a Bible degree. Um, is that what it takes? I mean, you know, I'm living proof against that, but I think Christ himself was living proof against that. I think Peter was living proof against that. Paul was living proof against that. Okay, do I need to go on? Polycarp was living proof against that. Timothy was living proof against that. John was against that. Um, Robert Murray McShane was against that. Why do we do that? Well, I can tell you why. It started Genesis 2. Okay? You will know as God knows. We believe to do the things of God that we have to have some kind of an education or and I think that part of our problem that exists today is that very mentality. Truly think about it. What do you bring into the relationship with Jesus Christ? What do you have to offer the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who here is wise enough to give him counsel? But he says, you are an earthen vessel with a precious treasure 
inside. So you see what this church was dealing with. You can go on down through chapter 3. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become a fool so that he may become wise. He is the one who catches the wise and their craftiness. Last week I looked at chapters 5 through 9 of Proverbs, not extensively, but I did look at it. In those uh, four chapters, God deals with sexual sin. Porneia is the Greek word. Uh, immorality is the translation you have in the New American Standard this day uh, in uh, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. And, and it's, don't you find it interesting that God will actually set aside four solid chapters dealing with sex sin? I find that fascinating. Why? God seems to know it could be a problem. Verse 12 of chapter 6 says this, I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, the Apostle Paul is setting the stage for what he will move into the 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11 of this book. Why? I will not be mastered by anything. I've come out of division. I've come out of your failing to confront sin and deal with it in the manner that God has called you to. And he says, and I want you to know that I will not be mastered by anything because I am free in Christ. But understand, I am but a vessel. I will not be enslaved. There is no more an enslaving thing um, that will have dominion over me. And the Apostle Paul in chapter 5 and now in chapter 6, 12 and following, or chapter 6, verses 13 and following, through 7 is going to deal with possibly the greatest enslaving thing that exists today. I just heard a radio interview, was it yesterday? Yesterday, where they were talking about uh, immorality and pornography. Okay? They asked pastors to respond do you have problems with pornography pastors were asked of the pastors who were now i wasn't asked okay of the pastors who responded 75 percent said they had viewed pornography on the internet what happened to flee what happened to don't point and click? I mean, I get the ads, the pop-ups, but you have to point and click. Don't you? I do. I mean, it, it isn't that this naked women show up every time I turn my computer on. You have to say, oh, look, I'm going to go to this place. I thought we were supposed to flee. Now, I don't know how many were asked. It was just a radio thing that I heard. and I mean, they may have asked two <laughs> or three, I mean. And two out of the three said, yes, I have. I don't, under, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers were or like this. But I'm saying that if you think that this isn't a problem, um, hmm. there, um, I can't think of anything that wants to enslave more than immorality does. And what I mean by immorality is porneia, is sex sin. To this slavery, there is a progression that enslaves. Okay, it's, it, it starts off in steps, and I'll just give you these. Uh, it starts with just holding hands. Okay? 
Um, and in that joy of the sweaty hands, um, we want to touch. And it moves to what? To a hug. Put your arm around them. The boy, the girl. It goes both ways. I mean, if you look at five through nine of Proverbs, you say it's a guy looking at a woman, it's a guy looking... Uh, well, that's because Solomon's writing his kids. Okay? What happens after the hug? The arm around the shoulder, the waist. Uh, however, what happens next? It's a holy kiss. What happens to the holy kiss? Comes unholy. You know what is amazing about the progression of, of the holding of hands, the touching? Now listen, in and of itself, touching a person's hand, putting your arm around somebody, hugging somebody in and of itself, what is the sin there? The sin of compassion. I've tried that when God said, I'll show you compassion. Here's the problem, and I'll tell you this. Do you realize that anytime you do that, there's a possibility of a trap? Do you realize that anywhere in that progression that you can realize there is a trap? The trap is there. Okay, if you do feel that trap coming, what should you do? Flee. It is not that hard. Um, I have people that are, that are very dear to me, that mean a lot to me besides my wife. I care tremendously for them. There are people that God has brought into my life that instantaneously I'd lay my life down. Absolutely, I don't have to think about it. I wouldn't have to be a progression there. It is something that I would do without hesitation. God has brought people into my life that are extraordinarily dear to me. Uh, to use today's vernacular, they've stolen parts of my heart. Okay? What's weird is some of them are male and some of them are female. Some of them are married, some of them are single. But I always realize that in these relationships, there's a possibility of a trap. And I always pay attention to the trap. If it comes something that will enslave me, then I move away from it. It's not difficult, people. Think about it. I've watched it happen. We hold hands. We smile at each other. We put our arms around each other. We give somebody a little peck. Then we give them a smooch. It starts out innocent enough, but what happens? It masters that person. Do you know what? I have watched it that even when the person isn't around, their mind will dwell on them and they become obsessed with that person. What just happened? You just became a slave. You have been caught. You are captive. You are mastered. And it all started out purely innocent. You know, it's just two people who care. You know what? I have seen warriors of Jesus Christ fall because they cared. You know what? In my life, in my past life, I should say, and the people that I used to associate with, I know people um, who you would classify as promiscuous. These are the people whose desire was to go all the way all of the time. 
Okay? They were always looking for full gratification, period. And you know what's amazing about it? They never found it. They kept searching. They kept working. They kept longing. They obsessed with it. They would lose sleep over it. They would forfeit jobs. They would forfeit lifestyles. And they became slaves. That is the society of the Corinthian church. That is the society that the Christians deal with today. We do it in the name of freedom. The Apostle Paul already laid it out to us. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Losing your freedom and becoming a slave. Christian freedom is what I entitled this. Let me ask you a question today. Okay, I look at it. We have a, 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 a really cool cross cut of this church today. We have young, we have older, not necessarily on these sides. <laughs> and I don't I don't want to get in trouble. I was confronted saying don't make statements about older women over forty and then you know falling apart. You can get into trouble with that. So I said yes, I'll make a note of that. Um, how many today, how many of you young people, Jacob, Kendall, Adam, Alex, Sorry, Jake, didn't mean to wake you. Um, How many in the name of freedom are now slaves? How many of you today are sitting in the bondage of slavery and yet you are a free child of God? Um, Sex can make you a slave. I agree to that. Maybe even somebody in here is. Okay, But you know what else? Money can make you a slave. Insurance can make you a slave. Retirement funds can make you a slave. Things can make you a slave. Cars can make you a slave. Clothes can make you a slave. Houses can make you a slave. Lifestyles can make you a slave. How many of you are willing to forfeit your freedom in Christ to become a slave? How many? You know, uh, six months ago, uh, a dear friend of mine had a phenomenal deal and, and I felt like I could help him. On a California custom soft tail Harley. Okay, I looked at it. I rode it. I took it back. I rode it again. Then I took it for, I went out to Lyman and back. <laughs> All right. And he was hurting financially, and I said, you know what, this will work great. And I looked at it, and I said, you know what, I think I can pull this off. I can pay cash for this. I'll get it taken care of. Then the Antioch meeting took place. Israel took place, a few other things, and I said, I don't think this is going to happen. I better go for another test drive (laughs) just to make sure. You know what happened? What was my thinking process geared to? How can I figure this thing out? Right? Then I laid it down. I said, Lord, let me take my $10,000 and invest in the saints of Russia. I get a better return on my money. Okay? I will give you some highlights. So do you know you can get Cuban cigars in Israel? Don't grieve for me <laughs> of my sacrifice. See, I can go to Israel smoke a Cuban cigar and nobody will stumble. <laughs> Do I look out for you guys or what? 
I mean, what a compassionate man. So, my daughter, but I can just. Anyway. <clears throat> How many of you become slaves to things? I've seen people become slaves to education. I've seen people become slaves to work. I've seen people become slaves to their children. I've seen people become slaves to their spouses. And yet it is a, uh, it's just your desires. It's your own personal desires. Okay. The question is, do your personal desires strive for holiness? That's the question. In a letter that is so dear to me this day and age, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, you abstain from sexual immorality. Porneia, abstain from it. What? That each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and in honor. If you're going to stay away from sexual sin, if you're going to stay away from the things that would enslave you, then you need to understand how to control your body. Get control over your body. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, I need to put to death the deeds of my body. I need to master my body. In uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I buffet my body. And it literally means blacken its eye to bring it into submission to me. How many of us do that? Okay. I'm going to put to death the deeds of my body. The question that always shows up, I wish to master my body. I wish to master my thinking processes. I wish to master my control of myself. The Holy Spirit is there for the assistance and will do it. But the question that always pierces through our heads and our thinking processes is, how far can I go? You never even go close to the place you're not in control. It's that simple. It isn't, is that, how hard is that? Think about it. Just don't go to the place that you're not in close. And don't go any down a road where it feels like you may be losing control. If you think you're in control all the time, you're a fool. Let me ask you a question. Anybody get angry today? How quick does anger just rise up? Huh? How quick? Let me ask you this. And here's a good one that I think about, I don't think about, but I have watched people exercise jealousy that we don't want to call it jealousy we'll call it well I think it's more of a kind of envy really <laughs> smells like jealousy walks like jealousy Nah. yep tastes like jealousy I don't care what you call it anybody here have that how quick does that raise up just go okay so how often are you in full control when they cut you off in traffic how often do you feel like God one bolt of lightning that's all I need Huh? Think about it. Think about it. I had a lady. It was so funny. Wednesday night, I was going to church down there in Albuquerque. This lady, I was, I was pulled out of my hotel, and I was going down, and um, and it was, it was dark. And I was going down this four-lane highway road thing that goes up towards the church, and I was going up this. This lady was right on my bumper, okay? And I mean, it's four lanes. I'm in the right-hand lane. Go around, okay? Um um, and and I, I I wasn't impeding traffic. I mean, it was 40 mile an hour, and I was doing about 40, 35 to 40. But I was in the right hand lane. She goes by me, slows down, and gives me half a peace sign. Okay, not this finger. Okay, the other one. Okay, and I'm thinking, what a joyous, beautiful gesture from God's created beauty. <laughs> okay. She gets in front of me and pulls into the church. 
So I go to the left, she goes to the right, I pull around to my parking area and I watch her walk in and sure enough, she's going to go in. And my message is already turning. <laughs> what should I teach tonight? <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> All right. No, I didn't bring up that as an illustration. Anyway, but I, I, I want you to think about it. But how quickly can we become angry? How many of us this day can say that I've been victimized by my drive, by my passions? How many of you honestly can say that my passions, my desires have victimized me? Anybody? Constantly. I pres- we are to possess our vessels to cro- control our bodies that we don't become a slave to it. Fight my body. Pastor, preacher, teacher, elders, do you understand that I could become a castaway? I could become disqualified if I allow my body, my desires to overrun me, to control me? Do you understand that had I brought up the fact of what that woman did to me, that would have been a reaction of my flesh rising up and allowing it to take charge of me? I know a lot who have named the name, who have preached the proclamation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and because they did not give their body a black eye, their bodies took over and they became cast away. They became useless. They have been set apart from usefulness to God, a sin that is, has enslaved them. But this sin here has uh, an in particular ability to do things that are amazing. Okay? Who masters you? Who masters you? I have some texts that I want to look at quickly. I want you to think about these things, all right? And I I prayed. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15, phenomenal text. Let's keep our, uh, let me keep the context here because the breakout of the, the, the change of thought of the paragraph is verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Do you understand what trial means? Okay. You are indwelt with the person of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, every single one of you. Okay, In that process, God has given you the body of Christ where there's supernatural ability teachers to teach you. Okay, they do it. You can have teachers all over the place, but they're in the, in the church. God has supernaturally empowered men and women who have the ability to teach. And through the power of the Spirit in you, you receive this information. You take in this information, and in the process of life experience, this information is brought into practical, and that is the testing of your faith. Do you trust Him? And he will take you through whatever is necessary to show that not only is he faithful, but that you can trust him with every breath that you have. So he says, he who perseveres under this testing, under this trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is that perseverance of the saints 
that you'll hear Augustine speak of, Calvin speak of, the old, uh, the old time guys speak of. This is what Jesus spoke of in John 15 when he speaks of abiding in me. He who abides in me and I in him. Okay, that's that remaining. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be, tempt, cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt anyone. Okay, we have a tendency that when a, a, a sinful situation comes up, where did it come from? Okay, and I've seen people literally blame God for it. All right, but each one is tempted. Now, there's two different words here. There's tests and there's tempted. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Okay, lust is epitomia. It means to just lust over things. In and of itself, lust is not wrong. The problem with lust is his own lust. Do I consider others more important than myself? If I consider others more important than myself, then my lust, personal lust, is what? Sin. My personal desires become sin. Why? Because everybody else should be more important as Jesus washed his disciples' feet. All right? What happens when this lust begins? When my desires start taking control, start mastering me? Look at verse 15. It conceives. He uses the terms there that it gives birth. Lust gives birth. What does it give birth to? Sin. And then when sin is accomplished, what happens? You know what accomplished means, don't you? Talios. I finished it. I've mastered it. It's taken control. What happens? I shall not be mastered. But what happens to our lust? I want you to think about this because... I have had to deal with pastors who've fallen into adultery. Okay? Um, three pastors. And the one came to me, and he told me, he says, I've not had contact with the woman, sexual contact with the woman. So what happened? I had an emotional affair. What? In the world is that? Simple. What was the focus of his thinking processes? This is a pastor now. Who's that woman? Instead of Christ, instead of the things of God, instead of the heavenlies, instead of prayer, what became the problem? But he literally had never had a relationship with this woman in an intimate fashion and left his wife to find out what that relationship was going to be like. He married her. Okay, now he's cast away. He's, he's useless. He has no purpose in the body of Christ. How did it start? I, I almost said that. That's a bad illustration about me and my motorcycle. And I was going to say, well, I just took it out for a test drive. I just don't sound right when you're talking about sexual things. He was enticed. Yeah, he was enticed. 
Okay, and the truth of the matter is, this man, uh, I've known him for years and years and years and years and years, and he cared for the people. He cared for the people. Okay, but that's one of the problems that we have. There's a a care. God is showing this, and I'll get to teach it in a few years. Um, There's care, and then there's love. Okay, there's a huge difference. Care can get you into trouble. Love is that that Christ showed on the cross. Love says that I look at every person as as a brother or a sister, and my passion for every brother and sister is purity and holiness. If you keep that out in front, you're going to be safe. The problem is, every once in a while, we can set that down on the side and and, and care, and you're going to get into trouble. Think about the things that entice us and that draw us, that will take us away from the things of God. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. Okay? Just think about it. It doesn't take anything to draw us. How tired do I have to be to not fellowship with the saints? That's the step. That's the step away. That's one step away is all it takes. I just don't have time. Do you know what you just did? You allowed your body to say, I'm leading. That's all you did. Will he give you the wings of eagles? Will he allow you to run and not grow weary? Will he? But there's time. Well, I just, gosh, it's just so far. Is it? He left heaven. But I, but I want you to think about these things because the text of 1 Corinthians 6 is sex. And we can all sit there and say, well, I'm just not, you know, we look at that and say, yeah, let me tell you something. Better men have fallen. Okay? I want to take you to one. Go with me to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. And I want to start, and this is going to be the quickest. Don't tell the people who ain't here. This is going to be the quickest you're going to ever see me cruise through a book. All right, I'll start at 13. It says that Israel, the sons of Israel did evil. Chapter 13, verse 1. They did uh, evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them over to the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man, Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren. You know what that means? She had no kids. An angel of the Lord appeared to a woman and said, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children. You shall conceive and you will give birth to a son. Now therefore, be careful. Do not drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay? You know what a Nazarite vow is? It's just given to you right there. Okay? John the Baptist took a vow of a Nazarite. Right? Usually a Nazarite vow was for a time. Might have been for a year. Could have been two years. Could have been for a month. Okay? The thing was, you weren't to drink strong drink. Okay? Don't touch anything unclean. All right? And don't cut your hair. All right? This birth, this child who... Is planning the birth of this child. God does. Right? And he has a plan. He says, this child will take a Nazarite vow when? 
from the womb. Verse 7. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. All right? I want you to think about this. All right? Go over to 14. No, no, the end of the chapter 13. Then the woman gave birth to a son, and they named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. Now read verse 25. Please read verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Do you understand what that is? This man is a vehicle, is a tool of God. This man has God things happening. All right? He's talked to his mother and he's talked to his father and he says, I tell you, this child is mine. Samson went down to Timnah. That means he's gotten a little older now. And he saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistine. And he came back and he told his father and his mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Do you understand what you just have there? You have a man who is set aside by God. You have a man who is set aside for the things of God, for the work of God, and the Spirit of God is working in this man. What happened? He saw a girl. Is there anything wrong with a man taking a Nazarite vow, seeing a woman and wanting a wife? Is there? Is here, Philistine, marrying outside of the nation. Look what the mother and father say. His father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you would go and take a wife from the uncircumcised? Look what he says. Get her for me. Why? She's a babe. Okay, that's today's translation. She looks good to me. Do you understand what just happened there? You've got to understand this. Please grab this. What happened to Samson right there? Is there sin there? What is the sin? Nope. He's been set aside from the womb. The razor has not touched his head. He has not drank strong drink. He has not touched anything unclean. What is the sin? I'm disregarding the counsel of God. It's not that big a deal. You know what? I'll bring her in. She's an unbeliever. I'll bring her in and I can convert her. How do you know that God may not save him? Remember, the Spirit of the Lord is on him. Okay, look at verse 6. I want you to see what happens first. All right, here's what happens. Verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and his mother, and he came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring upon him. What happened? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. And he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Okay, let me show you something here. Please grab this. This is amazing stuff. 
This man is set apart by God in the womb. Where's a Christian? When was a Christian saved? When was a Christian set apart toward God? Hmm, interesting, huh? But what did Samson do? Disregarded, and it's not that big a deal, it's a woman. All right? Look, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him mightily. How about the saints of God? That he destroyed this lion. He went down and he talked to the woman and she took, and she looked good to Samson. Verse 7. Huh? What is that? <laughs> I use the illustration. She'll forgive me. That's sparks, brother. <laughs> as good to my eyes as looking wonderful. Why? And you know what? The Spirit of God is on me. I've taken a Nazarite vow from the womb. Normally you get up to the age of accountability and you feel like God's leading you. Maybe you're of the tribe of Levite. I'm a Danite. All right? Maybe you're trying to do this and, you know, maybe then you take a Nazarite vow. But you know what? God is on me so heavy that, you know, I've been razor as touched by hair. I haven't had song drink. Look at things God's already done. I mean, he freaked my mom and dad out. Or it did. So it says, we're going to die. <laughs> you saw God. That's what dad said. <laughs> All right, look what he says here. He talks to the woman. We returned. <clears throat> when he returned later to take her, he turned aside and took the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees, uh, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. He scraped the honey into his hand and went on eating it. And he went to, and when he came to his father and his mother, he, he gave some to them and he ate it. But they did not tell them that he scraped it from the body of the lion. All right. What happened? Why is that in there? It's a dead animal. And a dead animal, by the law of God, is classified as unclean. So what do you see? disregarded what God was doing. See that? You know what happens after that? He goes down and gets married. You know what happens after that? He bets these... Uh, I'll just read this through, alright? He scraped the body out and when his father went down to the woman and Samson was there for the feast. You know what the word feast in the Hebrew means here? Drunkenness. Okay, you got a seven day marriage party. What are you supposed to do? Huh? I mean, let's be realistic. What are you supposed to do for seven days? What did he do? What did Samson do? He drank strong drink. So what has he done? God says, I will provide you a wife when I'm ready for you to have a wife. And he says, I found one that looks good. Then what did he do? He touched a defiled animal. Then what did he do? He drank strong drink. What did he consistently do to God who had set him aside? He disregarded things of God. How many of you guys disregard the church? How many of you disregard your own personal Bible study? How many of you disregard prayer? How many of you are watching your body, your lust, your desires master you? You know what's amazing about Samson? Ever read chapter 11 of Hebrews? 
Everybody know what chapter 11 of Hebrews is? That's the faith hall of fame. You know whose name appears in there? Samson's. You know what's tragic about Samson? Every time you see him take the jawbone of a donkey or kill a lion, remember he ties right after this. You know what happens to his wife? He gives his wife to his best man to conceive the marriage. Brilliant. And he comes back and he wants the woman. He gets mad because he loses the bet for 30 pairs of clothes because his wife tells the Philistines what the name of the riddle is about taking... You'll read it yourself. He gives them a riddle. They get the riddle right because they force her to tell him. And he realized that she trusts the Philistines more than he trusts her. He leaves. They give his wife to be the consummation of the marriage to his best man. He comes back and wants his wife, and they won't give him to her. The father won't. No, you've walked away from her. I thought you no longer loved her. So he catches 400 foxes, and he ties their tails together and puts torches in between their tails and turns them loose in the fields of grain. And what happens? A famine hits the Philistines. All right, and they blame who? Samson's father-in-law and bride, and they kill him. And that's when Samson goes on a rampage against the Philistines. And every time you see that happen, it says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him mightily. And you see him do great and mighty things in the name of God, and yet he has run away from the things of God in such a way he has no respect for the things of God, he has no desire for the things of God, that he is in Delilah's bedroom, and the Spirit of God leaves him, and he doesn't even know it. How's come Samson was caught and blinded? Does anybody know? Was it for the cutting of his hair? Nope. Had nothing to do with the cutting of his hair. The Spirit of God left him. And he didn't even know it. He didn't know it. I'll give you one last verse I want you to look at. And we'll be done. I want to go to Psalms 1. Psalms 1. Now let me tell you something. Samson was a man blessed of God. The Spirit stirred in him. Samson was set aside by God, for God. He was doing the things for God. Not only that, he shows up in the New Testament in the Faith Hall of Fame as saved. Okay, but let's be realistic. If you were Samson today, do you carry a tragedy in your heart? Why? Because I did not look at the things of God as important. I was cursory in my things of God. And it's a progression. Chapter 1, Psalms, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not what? Walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You see what happens there? When you disregard the things of God, where do you walk? What is the church in Corinth dealing with? Man's wisdom and philosophy and understanding, right? If I do not stay, if I disregard the things of God, where, where do I walk? In the wisdom of man, which is classified in Scripture as scoffing. What happens when I walk long enough there? I'll stand. When I walk in the way of the scoffing, what will eventually happen to me? I will stand with the sinners in the path of the sinners. Then what happens? 
I'll actually get comfortable and sit down. What happens to us when we allow our flesh to master us? I guarantee you, here's the thing, I guarantee you, if you look at a sin, if you look at something that your body has mastery over you right now, I don't care what it is, okay? Maybe it's cars, maybe it's money, maybe it's people, maybe it's relationships, maybe, I don't know. Just go down the list. I have not found anything that man will is not willing to make allow to be a master. Okay, just go down the road. If you look at it long enough, I guarantee you will see a Christian will turn his back on the things of God. Count them unworthy. It's not really that big a deal. You know what? If I marry an unbeliever, maybe God is bringing me into this person's life so that they'll come to get salvation. But God says what? Don't. Don't do it. Huh. But you just don't understand. Jesus died for souls. Yeah, he did. Maybe I need to take this job and it's going to move me somewhere else or I need to do this or I need to do that. Maybe I need to have this degree because then I'll be effectual. Maybe I need to take care of this thing. When you turn your back on God's counsel, the next thing that will happen is you will walk in the path of the passions of your lusts. You know what happens to Christians? You get comfortable. You just take a seat. I think I'll rest here. It's pleasant. Happened to Samson. Paul warned Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that men will become lovers of self. But then he says in chapter 3 verse 13 that evil men are just going to grow worse and worse. Think about it today. Think about how many people today who look at the body of Christ as something that is insignificant. It's not important to me. Think about this. How bad does the weather have to be for me not to go to church? How bad does the weather have to be for me not to go to work? How sick do I have to be not to go to work? How sick do I have to be to not go to church? How important are the people of Christ to me in light of uh, video games? Movies, entertainment. You ever, you ever thought about that? I mean, you know, I, I don't want you guys to think that I am profound when I can turn away a motorcycle for the things of Russia. There's nothing profound about it. I just get more bang for my buck. I mean, I like to tell you I had this great spiritual epiphany. No, man, I can invest in eternity or I can invest in something that will nickel and dime me to death until I get rid of it. Uh, I used to own Harley. Harley are very high maintenance. Okay? I own enough high maintenance without... Here, let's add another one. Although I did see a 74 Corvette Burgundy. No. Don't allow it to master you. And all you have to do is like Samson. All I have to do is take a fleeting glance. Hi, it looks good to me. I think God is blessing this. Really? Less of the eyes, less of the flesh, the pride of life. What masters you? 
Right now, I know that most of us in this room, there is something besides Christ that masters us. Ain't a person in this room. I know it. And the reason that God has brought you this day is that he wants to show you that you have freedom in Christ. You have a new master. You are not your own. Your body belongs to the Lord. The desires of your body, the seekings of your body, the will of your body are all been purchased. And the Lord has you here this day to hear this. What masters you? And I just showed you what to watch out. All you have to do is disregard the things of God. Think about it. If you get up late in the morning, okay, you're running late and you have to get ready for work or something like that, do you disregard your time in prayer and in fellowship with the king first? Or are you willing to maybe not take so long a shower? Or maybe you don't even take a shower. When it comes to crunching time, who gets cut out first? Your desires or the desires of God? See how subtle it is? See how subtle it is? And I tell you what, um, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice before God, here I am, use me. He will bless you beyond you could ever dream. In and of itself, having motorcycles and things like this is not that big a deal. But when they become an obsession, now God's got a problem. He'll deal with it. But what I have found in my life, God removed everything from me. Took it all. He took everything that I had security in. He took everything I took comfort in. He took everything I took joy in. He took everything that was pleasing to me. And, and everything. Think about it. He removed everything from my life. And, and I, I call it, he got my undivided attention. Why? Well, if he takes everything, sort of like Adam, hanging out in the garden, what else is there to do? But you know what? He slowly brings it back into me now. You know, I moved to Colorado 25, 26 years ago, ago and there was only one reason, to climb mountains. Did you know that? To climb mountains. Do you realize how stupid that sounds now? I left everything to climb mountains. And I would work. I'd work six months. I'd take six months off and climb my brains out. All right? I'd do summer camping. I'd do winters. I'd just do however I planned on doing it. You know, God took that all away from me. But do you know now he's brought it back into my life and I literally do it and I share Christ when I'm doing it? And I get paid to do it. Grab that. All right, I, got, I mean, I'm not making a million dollars, but it's going to help Russia. Do you understand that? How weird is that? All right? It's stuff like that I share with you because I want you to understand you have desires that are in you, but when those desires become more important than the things of God, He will remove them. But what's so cool is he replaces them. Okay, and then at some time in the future, he may give them back to you. Okay, but if he doesn't, what you'll have, you'll have great joy abundantly. But I'm telling you that if you walk in the counsel of the scoffers, it won't be long. You'll stand in the path of sinners. And, in, and once you're there, it won't be long. And you'll be very, very comfortable. Okay, our text deals with sexual sin. 
don't be master. And all I have to do is walk with the scoffers. Then I stand, then I take my ease. That happens with every time you, you disregard the things of God. What masters you this day? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you showed me through my brother Samson. Father, I thank you for what you've given me through my, my, my time in your book of praises. Father, what you've given me in Corinthians. Lord, you searched my heart. You know me. Father, you know my struggles. You know my, you know how this hurts me. Father, you brought me for a time such as this. Thank you. Thank you for your strengthening. Thank you for the amazing things you've shown me. And Father, thank you for the privilege of souls to invest in. Father, may I never take that for granted. Father, may I never become complacent. Father, I lift up these precious saints that are so dear to me. Father, with your energy and your strength, may I continue to lift them up to you, holy and pure. Father, may you do immeasurably more in each of them's lives than they could ever think or imagine. Father, I thank you for the way you've answered my prayers. Father, I thank you for establishing, reestablishing that passion for the prayer. Father, may I continue to lift each and every one in this body to your glory, to your praise. In Christ, in Christ alone. Amen.